I think it was, it started right around the age of being an adventurer that I heard this phrase a lot from my mom. I raised you better than that. You've heard this too. Or you've said this as well. That phrase is a phrase that I've heard quite often. Mainly from my mother. And most recently, I remember hearing this back in February of this year. Just a couple of months ago. I don't think you grow out of it. We're, my mom was here visiting for a week and some of our family had come over and we were all sitting around my living room Saturday night and we were watching the Winter Olympics. This particular Saturday night, it just happened that this man, anybody know who this is? Apollo Anton Oner. It just happened that Ono was skating, and he was going to be skating against two skaters from South Korea. So there were a a group of people sitting around my living room, glued to the television set, and I began to realize something really quickly. I began to realize that in the middle of my own living room, I was a minority (laughs) because pretty much everybody else around me were rooting for the two South Koreans. Then you had me sitting there rooting for Ono. And then you had my roommate, Chris, who really socially didn't know quite who to root for. That evening has come up in conversation quite a bit since then in our family. And I want to get this right, so I'm going to read this off of my notes here. My mom would say that she was disappointed that I did not cheer for the Koreans, her people, her native land. She was disappointed that I did not remember where her people had come from. Well, she actually said my people, but, you know. That I did not remember where her people had come from to have the opportunity to live a blessed life. It was William Shakespeare who said, what's in a name? Can you finish it? Oh, man. Are there any English teachers in here? What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would. Thank you. Nothing, however, intrigued the mind of the Hebrew people more than the concept of the meaning and the power of a name. To the Hebrew mind, the name of the Lord was holy and powerful. And it was holy and powerful because their God is the God that we read about in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. This prologue to the Ten Commandments that we've been studying the past several weeks. And it reads, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, 
out of the land of slavery. And it's within this context of a people released from bondage that we understand the Ten Commandments of God. And as Pastor Chris said a couple of weeks ago, these commandments mean very little unless you are in a relationship with this Yahweh God. This week we're going to examine the third commandment. This third commandment is one familiar that we have all heard before. And we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you may not have recognized it as Nathan read it earlier, but you may recognize this form. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who takes the name in vain. This is the NIV translation. You shall not misuse or maybe misrepresent the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses who misrepresents his name. This seemingly straightforward commandment, this commandment that has led to many, many soapy mouths, including mine, many timeouts, maybe even some spankings. This commandment that has been the commandment behind many oratories that we have heard, many powerful oratories on the evils of cursing, unfortunately has been to a large degree misrepresented. Because this commandment has very little to do with profanity, but rather it has everything to do with perjury. Its real significance focuses on the meaning of the name in the mind of the Hebrews. For, the, for to name someone or something was to assert that you had actual or even potential power over that person or thing. The word name here in this commandment refers to a very intimate self-disclosure of God. A name is a word by which a person is distinctively known, and we are warned not to take in vain the intimate self-disclosure of God's character as God made his divine self known to his people. Our understanding of this commandment hinges upon our knowledge of the phrase to take in vain that which lacks reality or truth, which can also be translated as to make empty, to deny, to diminish, or to pronounce unreal. This holy name of the divine God is to take his name in vain. And to a divine people, this divine name was a heinous act for those that believed that names were intimately tied to personality. When two people in covenant relationship were to make an agreement, they would clasp their hands and they would swear on the name of the Lord 
as their true God and that their words were true under him in bounding contract. And if they broke their word, they violated that contract, but they also violated, they perjured the name of the Lord. And this is the primary meaning behind this commandment. Basically, it means keep your word. Live up to your contracts. Don't swear in God's name to tell the truth and then tell less than the truth. Because in the Hebrew culture, for a Hebrew who was in covenant relationship, he was under oath at all times. And to break that word was perjury. Without this, without this honesty, life was no longer trustworthy. Truth and integrity was essential to the hope of a nation, for without it, a nation would be morally bankrupt. This commandment, this third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, expands even more through Christian revelation. Jesus says that the word of a Christian ought to simply be yea or nay. Nothing more. Nothing more should ever be required of one who bears that name. No oath, no swearing by God or by holiness or by heaven above or the earth below. For the word of a disciple of Jesus, that's you and that's me. A word of a disciple of Jesus must always express the integrity that befits the name of Christ, of which that name bears. This is where the third commandment touches your life, and it touches mine. The real substance of this commandment concerns the areas of perjury, truth, integrity, and the validity of one's word. And that's important. It means that our lives should be congruent with the God we claim to be in covenant relationship. During the mid-90s, growing up in the South, there were several bombings that took place. Probably the most famous one that you may recognize or remember is the Olympic Park bombing in Atlanta in 96 during the heart of the Olympics. Around that time, there were also several other bombings, some bombings of some abortion clinics. There were two of those and a bombing of a, a, a lesbian nightclub in Atlanta as well. Several people died. Hundreds were injured. And about five years after that, in about 2001, Eric Robert Rudolph was arrested in the back hills of North Carolina kind of living off of, of the earth. And um, there was an article written about him in the Washington Post by Alan Cooperman. Rudolph confessed to all of these crimes and has been sentenced to, to life in prison. But this is what Cooperman wrote about Rudolph. The question is not just whether Rudolph is a terrorist or whether he considers himself a Christian. It's whether he planted bombs at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta, two abortion clinics, and the other side lounge, a nightclub, 
to advance a religious ideology. And furthermore, how numerous, organized, and violent others who share this ideology may be. Now, I disagree with Mr. Cooperman. I believe that the third commandment demands an answer to these questions of whether Mr. Rudolph is a Christian, is a terrorist, or even a Christian terrorist. They demand this answer because within our understanding of who we are, as a covenant people, we must say that we ought not perjure. We ought not take the name of God in vain by acting against and misrepresenting his character by doing and saying ungodly things in the name of God. But could there be more? Is there more for us that are in covenant relationship with God in the 21st century? I would like to suggest that this commandment has more to do with how we represent God's name properly than to not take his name in vain. There is power in God's name, but this power is given for a very specific purpose, such as the maintenance of God's word, world and for the care and well-being of all God's people. And as, as we have been reading every week, the prologue states, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery, a land of bondage. And it is within this context of being free from bondage that the power of Yahweh is revealed in a tangible way. The bondage of poverty, the bondage of addiction, of famine, and most importantly, the bondage of spiritual bankruptcy. Do you guys know the, uh, the, the musical band U2, this rock group, anybody? You can raise your hands. We're not taking notes. All right. I happen to like you two. Bono, the lead singer, just this past year, or just this year, I should say, at the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C., with presidents, with world leaders, had these words to say that we're going to watch right now. Yes, it is odd. Uh, having the rock star at the breakfast, but it, 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 maybe it's odder for me than for you. Because you see, I have avoided religious people most of my life. Um, maybe it's something to do with having a father who was a Protestant and a mother who was a Catholic in a country where the line between the two was quite literally uh, often a battle line. Where the line between church and state was, at the very least, a little blurry and hard to see. I, I remember how my mother would bring us to chapel on Sundays and my father used to wait outside. One of the things that I picked up from my father and my mother was the sense that religion often gets in the way of God. For me at least, it, it got in the way, seeing what religious people in the name of God did to my native land. And even in this country, seeing God's second-hand car salesmen on their TV cable channels offering indulgences for cash. 
In fact, all over the world, seeing the self-righteous roll down like a mighty stream from certain corners of the religious establishment. I must confess, I changed the channel. I wanted my MTV. Thank you. Um, A powerful modern illustration of people taking the holy name of God in vain. And it's not just war. It has to do with people that are starving. It has to do with people that are homeless. It has to do with people that are spiritually bankrupt. It has to do with bombings. But Bono went on further, and I'm just going to read you a little bit more of what he says. He provides some suggestions on how we can represent God's name properly in our world. He he spoke. 6,500 Africans are still dying every day of a preventable, treatable disease for lack of drugs we can buy at any drugstore. There's no way we can look at what's happening in Africa and if we're honest, conclude that deep down we really accept that Africans are equal to us. Anywhere else in the world, we wouldn't accept it. Look at what happened in Southeast Asia with the tsunamis. 150,000 lives lost to that misnomer of all misnomers, Mother Nature. In Africa, 150,000 lives are lost every month, a tsunami every month, and that's a completely avoidable catastrophe. Now, I know it's not just in Africa. I know that it happens right here in our country, within our state, within the, even within the city of Calamasa. People are hungry. People are cold. People are sick. And people are definitely spiritually bankrupt. And part of that has to do with how we in the past have represented the name of God to them. Part of it has to do with the things that we do, the words that we speak, in the name of our God. As people in covenant relationship with God, we represent Him to those around us. And when we speak God's name or do things, In the name of Jesus, it is to bring hope, to bring deliverance, freedom, and healing to others. The point is that we can focus on promoting the good name of God in the world around us by freeing people from the bondage that they live in. It's the least and it's the most that we can do as people in covenant relationship with God. Yes, it's true that these are ancient words. Ancient words, however, spoken by the one who has this all-powerful name. And when we do honor 
the holy name of God, we show that we are in covenant relationship with Him. Now, go and promote, uplift, honor the holy name of God that releases people from bondage. Amen.